0: Welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, we're going to talk about High Noon. It's the story of a hero. But before we get started,
1: how was your week? Since our last recording, my week went wonderfully.
0: (laughs) Ooh, are we banking things in advance and and recording back to back?
1: I am perhaps going to have a wonderful week, though. That's what I'm anticipating. I, uh speaking it into existence
0: i was listening to an episode of a podcast i will not say which one uh and it was from about three and a half weeks ago Mm -hmm. from when we're recording this which is mid-august and uh they had recorded it in advance i think it was two weeks ago's episode but they recorded it in advance and two things like, I sort of giggled about. One was, they were talking about Bob Barker, and they were like, "Geez, I hope Bob Barker doesn't die between now and the time of the, this episode drops. Hmm. But, which he has not done. And the other part was, this show would be so much better if one of the co-hosts was Lizzo. And they keep oh. going back to Lizzo. At, like, they've done it, like, 15 times now, and I'm just like, woof, <laughs> Like, that's a fucking bummer, and now right. I can't wait to see if the next episode is, like... Or if they haven't even recorded, like, if it's they're, right. they're be- doing what we do, because I think they might be. So, y'all, topical reference ca- references can fuck you, even if you are pretty sure they never could. Oh, no. All right. Let's talk about this movie. It's from 1952. I thought it was much older than that. It's black and white, and it stars Gary Cooper... And mostly Gary Cooper. <laughs> I mean, it's got other people in it, but uh-huh. it's mostly Gary Cooper. And he's a tall, right?
1: Yes. And this is interesting because I discovered today that um, I learned from Charles Heston. He said that Gary Cooper was six foot six. That's not his official height, but at the same time, he was very reluctant to tell people he was anything taller than six foot two. And he obviously was. Because well, Charlton the, Heston was also six foot three, right. and he said he towered over me. Yeah. And yeah. so he would tell <laughs> On people, the other
0: side, uh, Tom Cruise's official height is 5'8", but we all know that's bullshit.
1: Well, he, the funny bit, what I discovered, because I, I started going, well, who's telling the truth about it? Um, and discovered that Gary Cooper was very fond of telling people things like, how t- when he's asked how tall you are, I'm six two and a half. I'm six two and three quarters. He'd never wanted to admit getting any taller, because he obviously felt the fact that people were always asking him, "How tall are you?" Yeah, was an issue.
0: Well, I mean, also like as you said, when he's standing next to Grace Kelly, mm-hmm. getting married to her, you're like, "What is she standing on?" Right. Because they are. It's not because she's got to be. A foot and a half shorter than that. Right. I mean, I don't know how short she how small she was, but she's approximately six inches in diameter. <laughs> so I can't think that she's remarkably tall. Uh yeah, she's though so when they're sitting together mm-hmm. on the wagon as they're leaving town, I was just like her waist is so oh, small. I think it's smaller than my like the upper part of my arm. It's, like it's There's ridiculous. a scene
1: where she he in that same scene, I suppose, he grabs a hold of her hand. Yeah, and it really looks like a child. A child, yeah. <laughs> by not, comparison. not in a not in a creepy no. way, but yeah. In, in a way that here's a very tall, very large man and a very small woman, and there's a place where they meet, where it just it's very confusing as to oh, you know, I what should kind say hobbit size force perspective is being used.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, she's just standing on a box, two boxes right. maybe. Um we should say we're in the top 20. This is mm-hmm. number 20. And I'm pretty sure it's bangers all the way down. Right. So we're going to talk about... So this is the last episode of August. We're going to talk about September at the end of this episode. But it's like... Mm-hmm. It's getting good, y'all. And this is a fantastic movie. It's also an hour and 25 minutes. And it's done in real time. So you could watch it and you it will be over before you know it. <laughs> uh, so this movie, directed by friend Fred Zinneman written by Carl Foreman. Tell us about them.
1: Uh, Fred Zimmerman was like like Robert Wise was. And that he's a director who doesn't get a great deal of credit for the variety of kinds of projects he can do. He did spy films, he did action movies, he did A Man for All Seasons, the costume drama. Um, and so this is probably the film that he's most famous for, despite the fact that he's done a lot of other high profile movies and he's responsible for introducing us to Montgomery Clift and to Marlon Brando and stars like that but again it's their favorites of the um, uh, film criticism were like Hitchcock and a few others and they're people who fall outside of it and unfortunately Zeniman's one of them mm-hmm. Uh written by Carl Foreman who was a writer who had uh, some very liberal views at one point he was a member of the Communist Party Right. And then turned his back on that. Right. But still be- was a very liberal man. And this was a actually a different time. We can we consider Hollywood to be a very kind of a uh, very liberal town now, but at well, the time everything was, was bad. It was blacklisted very conservative, ahoy. Right. <laughs> and so the House of American Activities Committee um began a kind of that's McCarthy, everybody. Right.
0: He's uh, evil. Remember when we were talking about torture? Right. Yester- or last week?
1: <laughs> There's a person...
0: Even if you threaten somebody with uh, loss of all of the things that they have, have that's a form well, of torture, and they're going to tell you things m- that are not McCarthy true. McCarthy
1: would be very familiar to modern, modern listeners, in a way, because that personality of pushing oh, yeah. and fabricating evidence and holding up lists, of, we're hmm. going to be seeing... <laughs> later on a really spot-on imitation of him in The Manchurian Candidate, where it's he's like, he's a sort of adult who's being manipulated by people around him, but he really does think he's the star of the show, even though hmm. he's being pushed forward by other Sounds like somebody people. with
0: multiple indictments under his name. Yes. Interesting.
1: But this led to Carl Foreman writing a story about a man standing alone and having his friends turn on him. Even in this case, Stanley Kramer, the producer of the film, was really upset that Foreman refused to uh, name names. Uh, and he tried to break the association with Foreman and downplayed his role in this film once it became a success. And this movie is a, an allegory right.
0: for what was happening. Right, exactly. He wrote a uh, four-page like. So Obvious, yes, <laughs> it's so obvious that John Wayne was supposed to do it or was offered the right. part. He read it and he was like, This is well, propaganda, this is like a commie propaganda. He, a lot
1: of, he used the word commie as well, <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, and he, uh, even though he joked, he received and we'll talk about it later the Academy Award for the film, yeah, uh, because Gary Cooper was in Europe filming, uh, oh, Men's he accepted and, it, right? He accepted oh, it in this place and made a joke about, well, I'm going to, you know, find my agent and find out why I wasn't offered this part. He, in actuality, very famously refused to do a commie film. Yeah. And, um, and he wasn't the only one who felt this way. Like I said, one of the producers, uh, was trying to get Carl Foreman's, uh, uh, name taken off the film itself because he felt that, uh, he was going to be guilty by association or that the House and American Activities Committee would come after him, uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of going going on that went on to the making of this movie. But Foreman originally submitted a four-page treatment about the film. It was shopped around and people were interested in it. Finally, and it's
0: based on a short story that not, was published in it Collier. It's it's similar to I think it was, this story is uh, pretty ubiquitous.
1: I well, think it's, it's very similar to uh, one of the chapters in The Virginian by Owen Wister. Um, and so the the book that you're talking the story that you're talking about, the tin star, yeah, somebody pointed out is similar enough to this to where they could possibly sue us. They had to buy the rights to that story, gotcha, even though it has very little to do with it other than the sparous outline of the plot.
0: Like I'm saying though, the plot is bare, the barest of bones, right? Um, even more bare bones than Clockwork Orange that we talked about last right. week. Um, and because it happens in real time, it's literally just like, well, I mean, should I do the, the right. quick plot? <laughs> well, why do we do the quick plot? Yeah, quick plot is Sheriff marries a Quaker and retires, uh-huh. uh, then finds out that the crime boss that he ran out of town... or. Put in prison five years ago, who was supposed to be hanged, is coming back to town
1: today. Not quite sure how he got out, but he did. He was, his sentence was commuted by those politicians up north, which <laughs> is a point that keeps coming back. It's in wild
0: dome. that a death sentence is commuted to you can leave in right. five years. That's not usually how it happens. Well, not now, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the marshal for the town isn't going the new marshal isn't going to get there till the day after. And everybody's like, you gotta go. And he gets out on his wagon with his beautiful new wife, who's played by Grace Kelly, who She's was beautiful. there getting married. I, was, I just looked at her and I was like, she becomes a princess? Hmm, weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> she looks like a guy. She looks like Cinderella. She looks right. like a Disney princess. Um, like one of the old school Disney princesses. Uh, and then he's like, I can't just leave them. I have to go back. And he goes back against. Like and and his wife Amy is like, well, I'm going to go to the train station and I'm getting on the train that we were going to get because on. Because
1: as a Quaker, she's a pacifist. Yep. And she can't be a part of it. And and she's also like, you're going right. to like, he's going to kill you. And we've learned we what's interesting is this story is amazing by how it uh, in many respects, and one of them is that it delivers exposition at a breakneck pace. Yep. And all in dialogue, right. not in
0: like somebody standing and telling no. you. I believe in the further, <laughs> let's talk about what uh, astral
1: projection is for the next five minutes as I give right. a TED talk. It's, it's, uh. in this case, you find out things about the characters as you're on the fly. Yep, yep, yep. yep. the film is, really, we're starting from there, right? She is going to wait at the train station. Yeah.
0: And, and that's the noon train, that's where, so it's 11 o'clock, when uh-huh. by the time, well, like 10 minutes to 11, right. at the time he gets back to town no, I think it is 11, when he gets back to town and he's got to raise a posse in an hour, because this motherfucker's getting off the train. He's got three lackeys chilling really? at the train station, so we see them at the beginning, and that's how he, they know that he's coming, because the dude that runs the train station fucking... He took off. He runs <laughs> out of there to, to raise the, uh, the alarm, basically, mm-hmm. that this is what's happening. And uh, so he's like... Come one, come all. Be a posse and we will run him out of town or wh- right. kill him or whatever we need to do. And he thinks he's going to get a posse and you know what?
1: Nope. And <laughs> yes, the film is watching him get more and more desperate as he goes along.
0: Not just more and more desperate, also more and more like... It's not just desperation. It's also this deep disappointment right. about finding out how everyone you thought... like. You were just lauded by this town. You made this town safe for families. Best you were the Marshall best marshal we ever had.
1: And then,
0: and then, you know, he goes. He he puts the word out. He thinks his deputy will do it, but mm-hmm. then his deputy is Lloyd Bridges, who's uh, younger and dumber. And seeing his ex, seeing Gary Cooper's ex, which Gary Cooper doesn't know, right. uh, but he thinks that that is the reason that he is being looked over for the new marshal and um and then he you know confronts the the marshal and he and the Mar- and he, gary cooper just is like you're young and dumb and i'm not you're no, not he ready He
1: still <laughs> he he goes back because he thinks that he has a ready-made posse yeah he used to have five top guns who work in this uh that lived in this town Hadley yeah, Belt. but they're
0: all gone. They were down to right. one deputy in the marshal, and the
1: deputy that that guy during the course of the film, he's like, I love his his way of backing out. Well, well, see, that's different if it's just you and me because you know that's you know,
0: the that's the other guy. Okay, he deputizes that dude, right? But his real deputy, the Lloyd Bridges character. Oh, yes. Puts his like as soon as he, like, they have a little fight where mm-hmm. he's like, You're too young and inexperienced and rash mm-hmm. to give this responsibility to. And at that point, he's like, Well, fine, fuck you. I'm not going to fight for you. And then he goes to the bar and starts drinking. And when Gary Cooper goes to the bar where all the men are, because uh-huh. they have not been con- con- congregating at the marshal's office, which is what he expected. They're like, "Uh, we actually like Frank Marshall, and you can go fuck yourself. Frank Miller. Um, We actually like Frank, and
1: you can go fuck yourself. So that's a group of people. What we learned from this kind of exposition, which is just, again, we're just picking things up as they happen. Um, We learned that his wife, Amy, his new wife, is a Quaker because her father and her brother were killed. doesn't say how or when, just that they were killed by people with guns and this is why she's turned her back on that lifestyle, and she's convinced him to stop doing it. We well,
0: that's because she's like, you're, "If you want to marry me, you're gonna we're gonna retire." Well, we and all... he retired after he married her, which was a little bit weird. I was surprised that he didn't do that well, first.
1: When Frank Miller was around, it was a wide open town, and so to use a Western expression. And so Frank Miller was originally girlfriend, of the, he was the boyfriend to, or the lover, to. I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah, lo- I will it. call
0: it lover, it's a word I don't love, but it's right. probably the it's most strange. appropriate.
1: Uh, to uh. Um, Helen Ramirez.
0: Yes, who won Best Supporting Actress at the Golden Globes for this performance.
1: Right, and this is a Mexican actress, C- uh, Cati Urado, and she owns half of the town, it seems. Yeah. And so she was originally with Frank, then she... After she saw how crazy Frank was. Well, and he got killed, or like
0: not killed, obviously, because he's coming back. He got sent away five years
1: before. She starts siding with the marshal. Then she has a relationship with Will Kane. And then when, after about a year, after he stops seeing her, and it's never made clear who stops seeing who, Harvey comes in the picture because Harvey is the great catcher-upper. He wants to sort of be he a part of this be, life. He wants to be He wants Will. to be Garrett
0: Cooper's right. character, who is, yeah, his name is Will Kane. We didn't say that. Right. That's, that's his name. Marshall Kane. Um, so, yeah, so we, we see her, because mm-hmm. she's like, if Frank's coming, I gotta fucking go. Right. Like, I can't be here when the three of them are here. Like, that's too no. much. She sells her business for $2,000. 1000 at the time like that day Mm -hmm. because she's getting on the noon train with amy they're gonna go together it turns out we'll get there and then one thousand dollars six months from then and and then her partner in the store that you know thanks her and and is like you know my wife said something never mind you've treated me very fairly like there's like clearly some racism and she's like fucking whatever because she is the most self possessed woman you've ever fucking seen right. in your life.
1: Um, her character is really interesting because she's very self possessed. If she wants to take a man with, she will. Yeah. And, and her,
0: she's a Mrs. Ramirez, so she is probably a widow. Right. Um, and so, yeah, wh- what, what virtue? I have right. been with him. Um, clearly, I have been with a man. And so also, now I'll be
1: with whoever the fuck so, I want. Exactly. Uh, but I Look like at me, I'm gorgeous. She is. <laughs> she is. It is just and same. witch. <laughs> right. But, this idea that she's very self-possessed and she doesn't take shit from anybody nope. over the course of this film. And her and retreat is And she's kindness to composed.
0: a woman who she doesn't have to be kind to. Right. So, yeah. So, um, Amy's chilling at the hotel waiting for the t- the noon train right because she's like I'm going to go they were going to ride into the prairie to live and now she's like well I'm going to just
1: leave right and he doesn't want to actually ride into the prairie with her because there's three of Frank's associates already waiting at the noon train yeah. at the for like the, noon train. the
0: four of them are going to come in and right. cause
1: trouble He doesn't know
0: what kind of trouble, but then he also figures if he's coming today uh and the new marshal gets here tomorrow, that new marshal then works for Frank. Like, that's just what's going to happen. He's going to have no sway.
1: He's very deeply entrenched in there with all the friends he has, particularly in town.
0: Yeah. So he's going around. He goes and visits Helen, and she's like, I know he's coming. I'm getting on the train. And Mm -hmm. he's like, Okay, great. Um, uh, What's his Lloyd Bridges character's name? Harvey is Harvey. That's right. Harvey, Harvey goes back and sees Helen Ramirez mm. and is like, "You, you always loved him, or whatever." Like she, and mm-hmm. she's like, "Get the fuck out!" <laughs> right. And he tried like he for- like he kisses her forcibly, and she like, she goes, "I don't like anybody to touch me without invitation, right. and you no longer have invita- invitation. Get out." I was just like, look at this consent talk in 1952. This woman's a badass. Um, At this point, Amy is downstairs in Mm. the saloon that Helen lives above and that has her name on the outside. Like, she owns this thing. She's like, um, is there... uh, did they, does she know my husband? And they're like, uh, they were friends. Like, the so, bartender's yeah. like, they, w- well, this that's is his for her f- current friend. Right. He this was her friend the before. The hotel
1: desk clerk is yeah. it, played by a character, Helen Chamberlain, and he is just the bitchiest man he's alive. Right. He is. Because <laughs> he's constantly throwing out innuendos. Yeah. When uh, Kane comes to visit Helen, uh oh so yeah it's like room on the right you think you remember how to find it. you, you like, remember how to find right. it. which is i think
0: what what amy hears right and it's like why why would he why and she right. and then the, the he's like oh they used to be friends and she's like
1: every line that he delivers is really yeah. fraught with like suggestion and he's just a creep that guy.
0: And then um then Marshall Kane goes to the church mm-hmm. while Amy goes upstairs and, I'm going to use the word confronts Helen Ramirez, right. but that's not exactly what happens. She's just like, uh, I have to leave because he's going he's gonna to do a dumb thing that I don't agree with and, and, uh, and also, oh no, she he starts with, she starts with he's lea- he won't come because of you. You're right. the reason that he's staying. And she's like, I'm getting on a train and we haven't talked in a year. So right. it ain't me. I am not the reason. And then that like sort of settles her. Like then they mm-hmm. like they're a little. Helen Ramirez is, is offensive with everybody else. She's right. defensive with Amy. But as soon as Amy understands, because she's like, I'm getting on the same train you are. Yeah. And I haven't talked to him in a year. Like I. This is I am not the reason. Um, and then. She's like, well, then what is the reason? Like, Amy's like, what? Why is he doing this? And that's when Helen like invites her in. You're waiting for the train. Right. I'm going to go. You sit and wait here. You don't have to wait downstairs or at the train station. We'll wait together and then we'll go over together. Um, so she is never offensive with Amy. She's, she, she defends where she needs to, but she's not overly vitriolic. And then she's like, she takes her in and she's like, um, I think it's the woman's job to stand behind the man in a situation like this and yeah. fight alongside him. But he's not my man. She also
1: so, <laughs> knows very well the temperament of this town.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She knows what's about to happen. Right. Even though Marshall Kane doesn't, he still ha- is he's like... Still, yeah.
1: He has some sort of very um, optimistic belief that the town is going to rally together and we'll chase him away like we did because last time. Because there's
0: four people. Right. And if he can get ten people behind him, right. it's done.
1: And that's one of the arguments, one of the better. I mean, it's like not one of the better scenes. Every scene here works. Every here works, yeah. Everything has to. Because there's not like a, you know, there's not a moment, there's not a weak moment in this film, which is what's so remarkable. Um, the scene in the church is the best example, though, of yeah. this kind of group. And you can almost hear them talking about naming names. Yeah. Right? Because... And they, f-
0: yeah, they, f- this, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's subtext, but it's like. Just right. subtext. It's like it's barely
1: well, subtext. Why is Frank Miller free? It's the politicians up north. They should solve this. And thinking, well, what are they going to do? Yeah, he's, but he's it's, coming yeah, right. He's going to be an here hour. in an hour. Right. And right. really, by
0: then, it's 20 minutes, right. right? He goes to the church, and the preacher is like, You don't come here. And he's like, I'm here because I need help. And at that point, the preacher is like, Oh, right. Uh, church is where you're supposed to come for help. Mm-hmm. So I guess this floor is yours. And he's like, Look, he's coming. I need a posse. I need you to stand up behind me, and we can keep this town safe. And somebody stands up. We're like, and they're like, let's go.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: then somebody else stands up, and, be, and it's like, well, why should we? Now, this is one of the
1: same people who had been praising him earlier in the mm-hmm, very first that's
0: scene. That's right. In the yeah, at his wedding,
1: who's like, I'm pl- proud to call this man my friend. But he's like, no, wait. <laughs> you know, he's like, and he's like,
0: you shouldn't even be here. Mm-hmm. You're not our marshal. Right. Get on, you should be on the road now. He also, at this point, cannot leave because he knows that Frank is going to track him down and kill him. Like,
1: he has to make a stand in the very opening scene. It's like he he thinks to he tells um Amy, Yeah, um, if he finds us out in the prairie by ourselves, we don't have any, we don't have any chance.
0: Yeah, and she's like, Well, what how would he know where we are? And it's like, Well, he's gonna keep looking, and I'm like, Well, also. This is the times where you could move 20 minutes away and change your names and have a whole new life. So, Or 20 miles away, not 20 minutes, maybe. But, like, you you could if you wanted to, yeah. No, but they're only an hour ahead. right? And people are going to say where they, like, clearly people will say where they went. So, People don't like,
1: there's, like, two groups of people, as you pointed out. The people inside the church seem to want to support him.
0: They but, want to support him, but they're also like, it's not our problem, right, which is wild because he's going to be your one problem. One of the
1: women in the church says, can you remember when this was a wide open town? Can you remember how a woman couldn't walk, a decent woman, whatever that means, couldn't right. walk down the street without being harassed or, you know, everyone lived in fear of this gang. Yeah. But this gang brought a lot of good times and merry times to this town. And money. Right. And so now that these guys have settled these people have settled down with their families they yeah. they're not gunfighters. Yeah, so that's their point. But the
0: other thing is oh, that that is brought up by the person mm. who wants to fight is if we are if we're run by Frank Miller like this town's going to go to pot. Like right. right now we're a we're a solid uh town. Uh people from the cities are wanting to invest in this town mm-hmm. and if he comes in and is charge is in charge they're going to Oh no! You know what it what what it was? It was if there's a gunfight in the streets. Right which is what's going to happen regardless, everybody, um, then nobody will want to come and invest here. They're going to think that we're, you know... And they've invested enough. I mean, Hadleyville is a train stop, which yeah. was a big deal. Yeah, a big deal. It's a huge deal. And so... Um, that's probably why Mrs. Ramirez is so
1: wit. <laughs> right. Because she's the only one with lodgings at the moment. <laughs> but yeah, so as you pointed out when we were watching, it, there's two groups of people. The people in the church who are all there on a Sunday morning and the um. people who... Are a bar at <laughs> on a yeah. Sunday morning, and they're all the bar is crowded. Yeah, crowded. It's They've already gotten started. The only person who volunteered to help from there was a one-eyed guy who has a DTs. It looks like yeah. Who wants this? It's, it's like his... I
0: used to be a good shot. It's right. like you can't, you can't see out. You have no depth perception. You're right. gonna die. We're right. not doing it. But he's
1: like begging uh, Kane by saying, "Well, you know, this will be my chance to make it back into." It's like that's yeah, not why you should no, be doing this. This no, is
0: not and you're gonna die. Right. You will be killed immediately and unceremoniously. The judge
1: who sent Frank Miller up five years ago also he's like packing his stuff. That's the first talk yep. that he made.
0: He's like, I this I know, I know, right. but I gotta go. Like <laughs> I know this is terrible, but I gotta go. And then uh, f- finally
1: mm-hmm.
0: um Kane goes to basically his mentor. Right. And it's like...
1: "It is a great scene with Ron uh, Chaney yeah, Jr. Yeah.
0: And they come to, like... He, he comes to basically be like, well, would you just go with me? Right. Like, just... Because like, he doesn't want to be alone. Like at the he doesn't want by himself. Right. And he's like, no, I won't, because all you'll be doing is... Th- thinking about protecting me right. and I'm going to be a liability which is 100% true but it means that he's going to go alone. So, yeah, it's that And is, we start hearing the this right. is about when we start hearing the train whistle. Right. It's fucking coming. It's happening. Um, as the train whistles, he's basically standing in front of the marshal's uh, office and there's no one on the street. Right. It is empty. You don't even, you don't hear anything. You don't see anything. There's no tumbleweed, but there could have been a tumbleweed. And then you see the two ladies on a on a on a wagon, going to the train station. And they look at him, and then they keep going. <laughs> um. And we see Frank Miller get off the. We don't see his face for a little while. Mm-hmm. We see him get off the train. They give him a gun, cause awesome, and some you know one of those bandoliers with bullets right. in it, which I think is neat, weirdly. Um, and then they go into the town, and it's fucking on. It's four against one. Right. Uh, which, I gotta say, at least the dudes in the saloon don't fucking join Frank right away. Right.
1: Because... Well, at the same time, what what happens is that when Cain decides to start going asking for help, he puts the badge back on. Yeah. So none of them wants to kill a U.S. Marshal. That's true. They yeah, want no, Frank they're going to leave that right? to Frank, right, right exactly. Frank or one of Frank's... His gang of uh, yeah, gangs. nasty characters, and they're all, I love One of them is
0: Lee Van Cleef, Lee who Van Cleef, says
1: nothing, nothing for the whole movie. He has what seemed to be a woman's scratch marks on his right cheek. Yep. It's never explained. And a
0: weird smirk on his face. But that
1: tells you everything you need to know. Yep. It's like, that guy. Ugh, that guy. Yeah.
0: So, uh, Miller's gang is his younger brother, Ben, uh, and then a Jack and a Jim. Because mm-hmm. they're all named after, well, two of them are named after boozes. Um, and they come into town, and shooting starts. They sh- There's two... Shots, and mm-hmm. I think it's Frank and Kane both firing at each other. They right. both miss, uh, and then, then it's a gunfight. It's a hiding, and this is, a, um, but as soon as Amy, who's at the train station about to get on the train, hears the, bolt, oh, she's the on the, train. the gunshot. Oh, she's she all the way on to
1: Helen on the train, and then she just bolts. I like thought they face. were stepping onto the
0: train. I don't think she was all the I way in there, but, the train, I, but okay, yeah. The but it's it's uh-huh. one or the other, and she just. Takes off towards the town. And she gets to the town, or like, to where the marshal's office is, and there's a dead man on the ground, and it's one of Mm -hmm. Frank's gang. I don't know which one. At
1: first she sees a dead guy and thinks, oh my god, they shot Yeah, but then it's like, no, it isn't.
0: So then she goes inside, she hides inside of a building. His, uh, his office. Oh, is it his office that he? Because in? Because that's where okay. she
1: finds his last will and testament that he wrote that's out. That's
0: right, which he had written out. That's what he spends the last it, five minutes right. before noon doing. He writes his last will and testament in some beautiful handwriting right. and then folds it up, and then on the envelope it says, to be opened in the event of my death. Mm-hmm. And this bitch <laughs> just opens it. I, and she, I, yeah, she's sitting there crying, and then... Um, you know, she hears more shooting, and she's like, well, that means he's still alive. Alive, And so, I think he kills another one, and then mm-hmm. it's Frank Miller and
1: one more dude. Right. There's and, a whole a set piece involving a barn. Yeah. And he actually... And fire. It's like, laid out very logically how he does it. Yeah. Um, because the first person that he shoots is because one of them having seen Amy, is like stealing a bonnet because he's going to try to entice her with it. (laughs) Because he's a jerk. And that guy smashes a window right as they're coming up on him, and that gives him the heads up. And that
0: gives him the heads up. Because otherwise, yeah, they would have
1: had the drop on him, and he would have died. And then after that, he climbs to a superior altitude in the barn, so he has a a view of the street and is able to take another guy out. yeah So it's all laid out, not like, oh, he's superhuman. No, he's thinking really quickly. Because
0: he's like... It's four against one, and I'm definitely going to die. So I'm going to take as many with me as I can.
1: (laughs) Right, exactly. Um,
0: then, yeah, as they're fighting, there's, you know, they're around corners. They know where they each other are. It's very much like, um, what's that movie, Black Hawk Down? Yeah. Um, where they're in Mogadishu, and Mm. it's close quarter fighting. Right. Um, it's like that, or the end, the second half of, uh. Full metal jacket, right. where we know that there's guns over there and we have uh, guns over here, and we're firing at each other from around corners and trying to. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot to come of. That. Out and expose
1: themselves and get shot because nope. they're going to get shot. They're going to
0: get shot. Uh, at one point, or at, at sort of at the crux, uh, the last man of Frank Miller, one of, the last one of his gang, mm-hmm. is standing in front of the marshal's. Office and has a bead on Marshall Kane, like he's gonna get him. Because mm-hmm. um, I don't think he knows where he is. I right. think he, he's got his back turned or he's figuring out where Frank is. Of yeah. No, no, no. I'm talking about Kane. Okay. Doesn't know that this dude is there right, and he's exactly. gonna shoot him. Uh, and then uh, we hear a gunshot and that dude falls down because Amy quaker though she may be right shot this motherfucker in a back in the back through the window <laughs> right because hello namirez was like right real ladies are there for their mans and he's not my man so <laughs> that on you that's, now. <laughs> that's on you uh even though i'm way better suited for this but i'm gonna get on this train and mm-hmm. going the fuck away uh, and that allows for it to be a one-on-one situation between mm-hmm. Frank and the Marshal. And finally, I don't know if she comes out well, or if he, he goes he in. Goes
1: where he sees, the he sees and, where she is. that was his brother. One of them is his brother. And so when he sees him die and understands the bullet came from behind, yeah. he goes and drags her out of the office. He
0: drags her out of the office and, and holds her in front of him like a human shield, which is... Some Charming bullshit, guy. And then she, because she's smart, closes at his face, which gets him to both let her go and stop aiming his gun right. at her husband, and he takes that opportunity. She, like, pulls herself away to the side, right. leaving him uh, open, vulnerable, and not holding his gun on the marshal anymore. And the uh, marshal can't shoot him in the chest. <laughs> And then he dies. And then, uh... That's Everyone the
1: from the town comes out.
0: Yeah, then she <laughs> picks up his... Or he picks up his wife, hugs her, and then the whole town is like, Yay, you did it! We were on <laughs> it's your like... side the whole time from the bar or the church or our homes. And then he pulls off the fucking badge, throws it on the in the dirt, gets on his wagon, gets the fuck out of town because they can go fuck themselves. <laughs> which is fantastic. And the whole thing happens in 90 minutes. It's real time on the, on right. the screen. Once again, there's no exposition dumps. It's just through dialogue mm-hmm. and looks. Yeah. There's also looks, but it's mostly dialogue. Gary
1: Cooper was... I was reading about him um, because I I was familiar with his work as an actor. I told you that he reminds me... Uh, modern Equivalent was like Harrison Ford. And I don't know if there's a younger actor like that who... <laughs> you're just looking at his face because tiny little things register. Lloyd Bridges was talking about doing his first scene with Gary Cooper, who he admired growing up and all. Yeah. He says, I'm doing this scene, I'm fidgeting, I'm, you know, leaning on the door, I'm, and that's the first when Harvey's asking, well, you know, why wasn't I made sure? Why Cheryl? wasn't
0: I, th- Wait, why am why, why um, I that And one?
1: he says, I'm, I'm doing all these sort of gestures, I'm doing all these, I'm going, and he's just looking at me, and I'm, says, I'm thinking to myself, what is he doing? That's all he's going to give me. He's being still. He says, Ugh. go back there, I look, because I'm a young actor, I go and look at the dailies, and suddenly I'm completely overwhelmed by how much he's giving me in this scene. And this is something that But actors, he's doing it right. with his
0: face and his attention right. rather
1: than all of this right these business. <laughs> right. And so it turns out that he was really widely respected by everyone. As different a group of actors as Charles Lawton uh-huh. and Daniel Day-Lewis admired, like... Was just, he a method? Because well, Daniel
0: Day-Lewis is he method. He had
1: no so. formal training as an actor whatsoever. No. He just, like, he had a gift for imagining himself in the part and then just doing the part.
0: Uh, try acting. Right. He's <laughs> acting.
1: And that's ah. what Charles Hutton's like. Well, he's really frustrating because he's a wonderful young man, but good God, he makes it look easy. And we're all trying really hard to do this. Um, but, yeah, yeah. He, there's a whole story about at the fact that he had just had surgery on his back, which I understand. And so he was in a great deal of pain uh. during the making of this film. That makes sense because
0: he moves very deliberately. um, Which is an interesting turns out it's not a choice, Uh but it was a thing that the director took, you know, use of that he's not running around. He's not frantic. He is moving with purpose, but he is
1: Composed he's composed, and he also I think all the panic that he, it's like he looks like he's suppressing a panic, yeah, all through the because
0: as it goes on, he's mm-hmm. like, oh, um, I went from maybe being able to beat this thing mm-hmm. to almost certainly going right. to die, yeah. And there's the one man that was like, yeah, we'll do it. He goes out uh-huh. to get ready and then he comes back and he's like, are we going to get prepared? Are we going to figure out what to do? And then he's like, where is everybody? And the marshal's like, Just so it's you and me. Yeah. And he's like, um, my, that calculus has changed for me right. and, uh. I don't like these odds, and I don't, I've got a wife and kids, so I'm going to go to my wife and kids, and I am very sorry, but uh, you're on your fucking own, and yeah.
1: it's rough. The, the scene, the, the fight scene that he has with Lloyd Bridges, uh, Bridges said, yeah, he's like, Are you, do you want to do this, because he's recovering from his injury, and at first That's really, right, they have
0: a full-on fight in really the barn. kind
1: of a vicious fight scene. And it's really realistic because he walks away, both characters walk away sort of bruised, bloody and, bloody and bruised. Yeah, again, you know, real time and everything. And, and he so ends up
0: going to I think the barber, barber get cleaned
1: up. Yeah, who, who is trying to hush up his partner who makes the coffins in town. He's putting together the coffins. That's
0: the, one of the first things we see when we hear, when the town finds mm-hmm. out that Frank Miller is coming, right. you just hear them go, how many coffins do we have? Right. They're like two, and then he's like, uh, that's not going to be enough, <laughs> no matter what happens, so go make
1: right. more. <laughs> like, but he, uh, he, uh, Bridges says that, so he just, like, he said everyone loved working with him because he was just really easygoing. Even when he told the director, I really don't feel up to it, and then he finally, he's like, I'm going to do this fight scene," And... Lloyd Bridges says, uh, my son, Bo was around, you know, wanted to see this movie being yeah. shot. So he goes, well, it's in a bar, there's a hayloft, so you stay up in the hayloft, don't make any noise, and we'll just do this whole take, right? So the whole thing, they're really into it, They're whacking the hell out of each other and everything, and then he says, and up until the point where Coop knocks me out, and then he goes and gets a bucket of wa- like a water, and, or a pail of water, and throws it on him. Yeah, he does. I guess to
0: make sure he didn't die? And at that point... I don't want to get hit by Gary
1: Cooper. I feel like he could hit real yeah. hard. Beau Bridges, little Beau Bridges, sees his dad get sposhed by the black girl, bucket of water and finds that to be the most funny thing he's seen in his entire life oh, and he no. bursts out laughing. Because can... it's always funny when right. your dad gets hurt or humiliated. Kids love that. Right. And so it ruined the entire take and they had to do the entire thing all over again. And he says, I thought he would be really mad at me because he didn't want to do this in the first place. But then the next day he invites me and my wife and Bo off to dinner at his house. So he was just that, that kind of guy who yeah. takes him out to dinner. So he's, uh, he was just really friendly and very sweet and everyone, you know, uh, both lead actors. He also
0: is a person who understands. Right. Hey,
1: we're all here.
0: Right. a leave. Exactly. So
1: we don't have to be assholes to each other. and that's, What a concept. That's kind of the thing. Uh, I really, I mean, how did you feel about it? Is it a thriller?
0: Um, I think so. Yeah, or for like, sure. Because the whole time you're like, uh, it's getting worse and worse. Right. Like, it's not even ramping up. It's almost ramping down, da- like it's ramping up in tension and down in like, into like a depression state yes. <laughs> where you're just like, this dude is getting fucked over. And it is, like, such
1: a clear allegory for blacklisting, that is. But it could be, it wound up being put on banners in Poland during the Solidarity Movement. Interesting. Because pictures with, you know, that had uh, Gary Cooper's character in costume wandering down that empty street. Standalone, you know, that kind of thing. And it, um, you, you know, that Image, or there was so much controversy around this film, not only with John Wayne's thing about calling it a comedy movie, um, but Howard Hawks didn't like it, and he said, "Well, you know, a real man has to settle his issues by himself. This guy has his wife fighting for him." That was an actual complaint, not only from Hawks but any number of uh, movie <laughs> of movie critics at the time who had never. We s- love the patriarchy. <laughs> it's 1952. Yeah, we have a film where a Mexican woman
0: is. The most powerful right. person on the screen. I mean, she and Gary Cooper are the two most powerful right, and people Right, you can see
1: why they were a power couple when they were together. For family. sure. They yeah. ran that town. Um, but she's the most sympathetic character, really, outside of Kane, because you're really worried about him. Um, it's a film about the cowardice of people in large groups. Yep. Uh, there's a scene that that
0: uh, that, that that's uh, mm. so, so, social uh, psychology thing of uh, if you're if a bunch of people right. are seeing an injustice. It's more likely that nobody's going to do anything because they just figure someone else will right, do exactly. it, and nobody then wants to be the one to do it. If you see, if you alone or you with just one person see an injustice, you're more likely to step in. If that's your, right. if you're, if, if you're a person who would, you're going to more likely do it then because there's nobody else to do it, and so that is
1: that puts the sort of impetus on you. Yeah, there's a okay so. Um, Lonchain Jr. plays junior, yeah. his, uh, his uh, mentor. Yeah. Who has arth- busted knuckles and arthritic hands. Yeah. That's um, why he can't fight. Right. He, he can't. And we see that he's in character the entire film. The opening scene at the wedding, he's rubbing his hands and you can, oh, there's something wrong with him. And he just keeps that going throughout the film. But he gets the closest to exposition in the entire movie because he does give this yeah, kind of and it's, again, it doesn't it's feel almost
0: like, um It's almost like a eulogy. Right. <laughs>
1: that he so gives. He, he gives this line, uh, you risk your skin catching killers and the juries turn them loose so they can come back and shoot, again, shoot at you again. If you're honest, you're poor your whole life, and in the end you wind up dying all alone on some dirty street. For what? A 10 star. And so that paragraph, that's the biggest amount of exposition in the entire film, right. really. Um, but that offended people because they're going, well, what about all of us working together, is it? No, but you weren't. But you weren't. Right? But this, you aren't. This film is written from the point of view of a person who had to stand on his own. It's like people who say that the world, the country is a democracy. I'm
0: like, right. no, if the country was a democracy, you'd take a turn being a street sweeper, but you don't. Right. That's not, we are a representative um, situation republic. Mm-hmm. And we do that with all, everything. Right. You are not responsible for multiple areas of society you are responsible for whatever your job is and your family. And sometimes not even fucking that, depending yeah.
1: on who you are. But yeah, I, I've always loved... I saw the film the first time when I was like 12 years old, I loved it. We got to talk about the music. The music, yes.
0: There's a theme song that is basically the entire plot of the movie that right. is sung at the beginning, at the end, and all of the music stings in the movie
1: mm-hmm.
0: are... Variations on right. it, it was sung by Tex Ritter. Uh, it won best song because, uh-huh. uh, of course, it did. It's called "Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Darling." Well, it's actually, I think, actually called "The Ballad of High Noon." That's okay. like the name, the, the actual right. name of it. Um, Tex Ritter is John Ritter's dad,
1: and I saw and Jason
0: Ritter's grandfather. <laughs>
1: I saw a clip of him today saying that that was his father's proudest moment was standing at the Academy Awards, performing this song. Amazing. And then later that night, it wins the award. Winning the award,
0: yeah. Yeah, it's an amazing song. But I was like, uh, was it usual for the lyrics of the fucking opening song to just be the story? Like, it's literally the lines... To shoot Frank Miller dead, or right. in the song, like it's not—it's not subtle. It is what's about to happen. I—I I I might open
1: up and, and pull the actual uh, lyrics. I think the only other movie I've seen where the music is as integral to the story as inseparable. would be, would be the third man? Yeah. Where it's just like you can't hear the there without thinking of this film. There
0: are other things. Right. We talked about that when we talked about the Third Man, things right. like Jaws. Yeah,
1: yes, but I think like... when you have, as, as we mentioned, um, one song just being the entire focal point, and in the background is uh, layered in these sound effects of the clock going, um, and the constant turning to clocks. It really does. Yeah, lead. you see the clocks in the background,
0: just right. like, and there's five minutes left. And he's constantly and there's five trying minutes to look left to
1: see how much time
0: he has. I want to read the lyrics to uh-huh. this song because it's wild. Yeah, right. Do not forsake me, oh my darling, on this our wedding day. Do not forsake me, oh my darling. Wait, wait along. I do not know what fate awaits me. I only know I must be brave, and I must face a man who hates me, or lie a coward, a craven coward, or lie a coward in my grave. Oh, to be torn twixt love and duty. Sposin and I lose my fair-haired beauty. Look at that big hand. Move along. Near and high noon. He made a vow while in state prison, vowed it would be my life or his, and I'm not afraid of death, but oh, what will, you, will I do if you leave me? Do not forsake me, oh, my darling. You made, the pro- uh, made that promise as a bride. Do not forsake me, oh, my darling. Although you're grieving, don't think of leaving now that I need you by my side. Like, mm-hmm. it is a pleading to his wife. Okay, so the end of the song, and it cuts off what I said before it mm-hmm. cuts off, do not forsake me, oh my darling, you made that promise when we wed. Do not forsake me, oh my darling. Although you're grieving, I can't be leaving until I shoot Frank Miller dead. Right. That's how it ends. And then he just says that over and over. Like, mm. it just goes over and over again. And like I said, the the music through the, the whole movie is alternatives to the same yeah. song, the same music.
1: They're reworking the same motif so that in different, it's insistent on you. Like yeah, in- and it's different, right. like
0: instruments playing it it's different tempos but it's the same yeah. song over and over again it's it's so weird yeah because that's was listening to it I was like oh right these lyrics are the movie is that was that normal and you're like no <laughs>
1: no and it was it was probably the first time they did this and uh, there's a lot of uh, talk about how this made that more of uh, acceptable practice right because there really wasn't something before
0: Work. It's really interesting, yeah. And it's like it really sets the mood because it very much feels like a feel like a funeral dirge. Yeah, it's a slow, and then his voice is hella deep, right? So it's just this resonance thing, and then you open, like, this is the song you hear, and then you open on a wedding, and it's all joyous, and you're like, the fuck is (laughs) happening? And immediately, though, it, like, switches, because you see these dudes at the train station, like, hey, is the new train gonna be on time? And he's like, and the train, you know, the, the, he's not a conductor. Like, the, Uh, he's probably the postman, too. Right, he's (laughs) probably, it's
1: one of those little towns where he's uh, the postman, he's the, uh, He runs the, whoever runs the, yes, exactly, runs the
0: train uh, station, the depot, is Uh like, I don't have any indication that it is it. And then, yeah, he runs away, and then it's on. Uh, I'm glad you liked
1: it. It was, it's really good. It is really one of my favorite movies. And it's like,
0: like I said last time, I was like, I can't deal with the violence Mm -hmm. of man on man. And this is a different kind of man-on-man violence. Like, just what Gary Cooper is going through, through the movie, where everybody
1: is like, nah, go fuck yourself.
0: And then, yay, at the end. That's a a form of violence as
1: well. You're watching him lose hope as the story goes along. And you just see it in his face, like... Because you made the comment while we were watching it that you'd never heard or you'd never seen someone actually set their job before. Yeah, there (laughs) is a point where you can see like real fear in his eyes Uh
0: and then he does this thing where he like it's almost like he's biting down on it Uh and his face changes shape and his jaw hardens and I'm like oh shit (laughs) like I've read that numerous times right Right. or you hear he set his jaw never seen it happen it was like this is it (laughs) this
1: this is what people are describing the only person who is willing to volunteer aside from you know um the, the one eyed guy. Oh, it's um, a 14 year old kid at the end who really wants to help him, and he keeps lying to him. I'm 16. Well, I'm big for my age. Well, I can. And he's he...
0: like, You can't. Right. As much as I would love to not be alone, yeah. and really, really don't want to be alone, I'm not going to consign a 14 year old to death. Like, I'm no. not doing that. If I'm going down, at this point, if I'm going down, I'm going down alone.
1: What's great about that is the first part of the scene, he's. Completely lost hope. The last guy who was going to help him backed off, you know. And he's face down on his desk and he looks like he's about to lose his shit. Yeah. And then he, this kid. He's crying. Yes, this kid walks into the room and he suddenly realizes he's still the marshal, so he he's sits great. up. Sucks Although he it up. isn't. Right.
0: I mean, he has re sort of deputized himself. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. But technically, but not yeah, the marshal. I think that. Yeah, it's it's just a matter of, though, this is one of those movies that you see that could affect you in such a way to go, this is what you do in life. You yeah. take responsibility. And you protect the ones that you care about. And in this Even case, if they're dog shit. Because right. <laughs> sometimes they're dog shit. And I threat. really like, despite the, the, the protests of other because it was very atypical, it was a Western.
0: Yeah, no, it's... Um and
1: 1952, we'd already been seeing, and this was Fred Zinneman's idea, we haven't, we've seen so many of the John Ford huge panoramas with the big, huge open skies in technicolor that reducing it down to this one street, essentially, that he keeps walking up and down trying to get help, made it almost look like a documentary in ways, Yeah. and it went for a semi-documentary feel um and it achieves that so that you really feel the desperation of it and it doesn't turn into a traditional western at all really because even during the gunfight his wife is helping him and yeah, watching should... them work as a couple yeah was really interesting because you don't see that especially in 1952 much less now
0: yeah and it's um it's considered an early example of something called a revisionist western right uh, so it's a, sh- which is a subgenre of uh, westerns called post-classical, mm-hmm. um, where you basically are not romanticizing no. the old west. And I would argue that most westerns that have been made in the, especially like the last forty years, mm-hmm. like in my lifetime, yeah. are or fall into that category. Yeah. Like we're not like, hey, it's awesome to kill indigenous people anymore. Like we're like this yeah. shit is. It's hard, it's filthy, you have to fucking make hard decisions. There's it's brutal both ways. Like mm. it's not like the good old days, <laughs> which is what Westerns before this yeah. and, and Westerns after this, to be Westerns fair. Westerns
1: were adventure stories, yeah. really. Um, they were adventure see stories. See yourself about, as this white right. this
0: heroic white man and everybody else yes. is just there to
1: as props I, Indians, for him. Indians frequently ride off to attack the settlers. They're saved by the cavalry. There's they all steal sorts women of tropes. And then, right. yeah, it's. There's all sorts of tropes. And this film doesn't indulge any Any of them,
0: no. You see not a single indigenous no. person other than Heather right. Ramirez, who Mexicans are indigenous. <laughs> that, <laughs> that is, sorry, that's just what it is. Uh, and. But there, yeah, there isn't any of that. There's no
1: disrespect for Every,
0: all the bad guys in this movie, white men. Every single bad guy (laughs) in this movie is a white man. It's almost like real
1: life now. It's not, also, it's not targeting them. Because you do have these people who are not in a position to actually help him. Like his mentor, or the 15-year-old kid. Right. Right, you have the, the people who want to help, or even the town drunk who, um... But it's, yeah, overall this film, it really does teach you something, because at first I thought to myself, watching it now, yeah, is this, I've had to review a lot of what I held near and dear before, yeah. because I'll look at it and go, okay, this is a really terrible example of masculinity that right. I'm watching, but this was a film I admired a lot when I right. was a kid, or this is whatever, but when I watched this film yesterday with you, it was exciting to see that, oh no, there were people who had the right idea. Yeah. He works with this woman. She saves his life. She is a religious. This shit is woke for that time. Like, it is. Well, it's still woke. That's the problem, is that we haven't moved much past that.
0: Like, there's a point where somebody mouths off to him in the saloon and he punches them. Once again, I don't want to be punched by Gary Cooper. And the dude lands and is like, hey, I'm just here doing my job. You had no cause to do that. You have
1: imagined again, this is not ever going to be a fair
0: fight. You're right. And I'm sorry. And, he tries, and to, he tries to help him up, but the guy won't take it. But, like, immediately he's like, yep, yep, yeah. I'm not even going to defend my behavior. I am, at this point, not acting in my own right mind because right. I'm counting, literally counting down the minutes until I'm going to get shot in the middle of the street and none of y'all give a
1: fuck. Right. So,
0: sometimes I get to throw a punch. <laughs> I don't know what to tell
1: you. Like, <laughs> but, yeah, I appreciate the fact that Just the depiction of hell, the depiction of Amy. She falls into Jesus' admonition that man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. In other words, religion doesn't work if you're not using it for the common good. And even if this is a wrong thing to do, you have to save him. And so it's like she wound up doing the same thing that he did later by taking off that badge. She took off her kind of self-righteousness. And again, it's not steep in not having that experience because her father and brother get killed, yeah. you know, years earlier. Yeah. But everyone has a clear motivation. Everyone knows exactly what they need to get out of this to get uh, to, what to do to get out of there alive. Yeah. And so, yeah, this this it's a great, great movie. Everyone should see it. Oh, I
0: want to say I want to sort of the crux of that Lloyd Bridges, mm-hmm. Helen Ramirez, Kane sort of Trinity yeah. is when. Um, Harvey Lloyd Bridges comes back and sort of confronts her about you, oh, you just still love him. And she's like, You're a good looking boy, you've got big, broad shoulders, but he's a man, and it takes more than big, broad shoulders to make a man, and that is, like, the moral <laughs> of the fucking story. Uh, so, yeah. It's, she won Best Supporting Actor at the Golden Actor and Best Newcomer, or like, Favorite Newcomer at the Golden Globes. Wow. They don't do yeah. that anymore. I think the only people that still do newcomers, like, the MTV Awards, if they still do that. Mm. Hi Noon, it's awesome. It Watch is. it, if you didn't already. And uh, that's number 20 on the list. We're entering... The top 20. So what,
1: uh, what, what's the list for next month? And
0: we're entering September. And September uh. starts out with The Great Escape, which I believe is another long one, if yeah, I don't... Yes, go- okay. We've got a Steve, Steve film, McQueen... Right? Uh, I believe they are Breaking Out of Prison. Is right. that oh, accurate? And everyone is in this movie. That's right. The cast is like bonkers. Well, James Garner and... I cannot Steve remember Queen if I've seen that. I don't think I have. We it's started the, it together. It's the right. ball,
1: right? It's the, he's yeah. bouncing a ball we against the wall. We started it together years ago, and then we Some never finished it. happened, and we didn't
0: finish it. Okay. Because I, like, I don't know how it ends, but I feel like I remember the beginning of right. it. Um, so The Great Escape from 1963. That's up next week. Followed by Vertigo... A movie I've been meaning to watch for 25 years and have not watched yet, so I'm excited to watch that one. Followed by, we spoke about it earlier, The Manchurian Candidate, the original from 1962. Uh, Followed by Chinatown (laughs) in 1974. Bangers all the way down. So that's September. um, And, yeah, so that's September. Uh, so we'll start with uh, The Great Escape next week Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm hoping to stay on schedule I'm actually taking my first vacation in over a decade
1: uh,
0: the beginning of September which is why we're banking things now Uh, so hopefully though you won't even notice except for I keep telling you so you might notice a little bit Uh, and that is that Great Escape for next week yeah I think it's a
1: long I don't think it's like three hours long but it's not as long as Lawrence of Arabia well, nothing's Ben-Hur, as long as... But the... you have this amazing cast, and they all get their scenes. Oh, no, it's pretty fucking close. It's two hours and 52 minutes.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. uh, it's three hours. Then just round it up. Uh, so... Is it av- it's available on... No, we maybe? haven't recorded.
1: Oh, okay. But, yes, uh, we might have to check before then to tell people where it's available. Uh,
0: MGM Plus on mm. uh, Amazon. But yeah, we recorded off TCM, and I think it's on TCM fairly regularly.
1: Right. I mean, or you might own because it, because this is a like famous movie. Where yeah. people, we're going to do all the movies that, and there's so many movie stars in this film, right? Yeah. Charles Bonson's night. No, it's James Garner night. No, it's Richard Attenborough's night. No, it's Donald Pleasance's night. Well, they're all in this movie. Steve, uh, Steve Coburn, or James Coburn, rather. So all of these actors in this movie, you could very easily just sort of plug it in and go, "Oh, we're honoring this actor by showing yeah. the free Escape." Well, was
0: the High Noon was recorded off TCM, and right. they were also doing a theme night that night, right? Yeah. it was blacklist movies or movies yes, about the blacklist. They
1: were doing on the waterfront.
0: It was that's right, and which they was had the opposite point of view. Right, uh, right, and. Um, uh, then they had like a documentary, which I wish we had actually gotten, but we right. didn't. It was oh, like they'll, they'll do it again. Like, a twenty minute documentary right. called like High Noon on the Waterfront. High Noon Street. on the Waterfront, Waterfront. yeah, Fire. is that what it was? Yeah. Um and, and it talked about those two movies, probably because they're like opposite sides yeah. of a coin, right? So
1: Alright. Do you have
0: anything you want to recommend?
1: Um, other than High Noon, no, because oh, no, just yesterday. It's true. So. I've okay. I i have
0: not watched Literally anything. <laughs> right. We watched High Noon. I went to sleep. I woke up this morning and I worked all day. And then we recorded. I have not I'm, set eyes on anything other than the movie I that we just up watched. I got it this
1: morning. I'm like, boom.
0: <laughs> it's just like going through my head. Remember when I talked about the Lincoln Lawyer a couple of months ago? The second half oh, is sorry. on uh, Netflix now. I watched uh-huh. it. It's good. Okay, so good. there's something.
1: All right, there you
0: are. I don't know. So. That brings us to the end of this episode. Next week, The Great Escape. I'm going to say it like for the 19th time, just in case you missed it. Uh, If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com, or you can uh, find us on Facebook, searching Latecomers Podcast. Subscribe to that. Join the fan page. You'll always get the notifications. Or just subscribe to the podcast itself, because sometimes I forget. (laughs) <laughs> to post in the mornings, uh, but it drops at twelve oh four on a Thursday morning. So mm-hmm. if you you can wake up and have it, uh, and that would be great. So I would like to remind you to please, please take your medicine, and we'd like to remind you: better late than never.